I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 11th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. Today, our topic is a new and very popular book just published by the American Bar Association. The book is The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook. And we are very pleased to have with us today the book's author and my good friend, legal technologist Ben Shore. Welcome, Ben. Well, thanks, Sharon. It's a, it's a real treat to be here. It's, it's kind of unusual for me to, to be on a podcast I actually subscribe to. <laughs> That's I, I used to good. say I would never subscribe to a podcast that would have somebody like me as a guest. <laughs> yeah, I remember the Groucho Mar Marx line. <laughs> mm -hmm. I still well, Ben, we're really excited. Ben, we're really excited to have you visiting with us today because uh, I think this is a, a very important book. Unlike Sharon, I knew nothing about this book other than it was on the horizon until I received a copy. But I've thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and I appreciate that you've mixed in some humor and some fun observations along with the technical details we all need and want. You know, that was that was really the best part, and, and I have to say here that I was one of the editors of Ben's book, and when I was reading along, even in the draft manuscript, I'd start howling because he would say something so funny, and I thought, I've never read a legal technology book that's broken me up. So it was really a lot of fun to read, Ben, and I also appreciate the fact that you really opened my own eyes, and I guess we all see this through our own prism, but you opened my eyes to how little of Outlook I was using and how many features existed that I could use uh, very well if I had taken some time to learn about them. And your book was wonderful with the step-by-step -step instructions. So just a great contribution. Thank you. Ben, that was my goal. Well, it's, it's very well met, Ben. And we've had, I've had this situation where I'm about the only user of Microsoft Outlook 2007, and I've already become somewhat of an evangelist within my building. So Ben, can you tell us what's new with Outlook 2007? Well, there's actually quite a bit of new stuff. It's one of the best upgrades since 2003, actually. Some of the earlier upgrades of Outlook, as you know, were, were a little disappointing. But 2007, I think, is really an exceptional step forward, especially for attorneys and for people who have to work in, a, in sort of a project environment. For one thing, the new to-do bar is a real advance. You know, people in uh, Outlook is the application that, that, that people have open in the office suite the most out of any application. They usually start at the beginning of the day and don't close it till the end of the day. And they spend most of their time looking at the inbox. In the past, that means that the calendar and tasks folders tended to not get a lot of attention. And, of course, for attorneys, calendar and tasks are, are huge. So the new to-do bar is a real step forward because it lets you display your appointments and your to-do items right there in the inbox where you can get at them pretty easily. Also in Outlook 2007, and in fact, the whole Office 2007 suite now, we've got an instant search feature, which I love. If you've ever... Use search in the older versions of Outlook. You know, you, you type your search term and you click search, and then the little magnifying glass goes around and around and around. Forever and, and ever coffee. and ever, yeah. Yeah, and you come back, and it's still going around and around. And eventually it may re return some results that are sort of what you wanted. With the new instant search, you start to type your query, and it starts returning results to you before you've even stopped typing. Uh, it's really that fast. Hmm. It's, it's quite remarkable. And it searches across the uh, multiple folders. It's really a powerful way to, to work with uh, with a large data set. In Outlook 2007, they've done away with the Outlook editor. You now have just the Word editor, which simplifies things, but it also gives you all the power of Word, including the spell check and, uh, and a lot of the, the um, grammar check and, and things like that capabilities built into Outlook. We also have an RSS reader now integrated. A lot of folks are using RSS for blogs uh, and news sites, and that's integrated into Outlook 2007. It's just a, a tremendous number of features. I could go on for hours about them. 
Well, we won't ask you to do that. But, you know, I realize one of the things we didn't discuss uh, even asking a question about is the uh, cost of the book and where to find it. Maybe you could tell us that. Oh, uh, well, let's see. I, I actually was hoping that they would they would price the book at, at $6 million. Uh, but <laughs> I'd only, I wouldn't sell many, but I only need to sell one, right? Mom would have um, bought it. <laughs> mom would still have bought it, yeah. And there goes my inheritance. But book is uh, regularly priced sixty nine ninety nine, but there's an LPM member uh, price of forty nine ninety nine, and presently uh, you can get it through the ABA's website through the online web catalog. Okay, at the web store, right? At the web store. Right. Um, the whole Office two thousand and seven suite seems like it's pretty pretty different from its predecessors. What's inspired the fairly dramatic change that we're seeing there? Well, a big part of the the, uh, the difference in the way that Office 2007 was designed is that we have an awful lot more data now about how users really use the product. In previous versions of Office, when it was time to design the next version, you know, the, the Office team was guessing a lot of times about how people used it. They have a lot of usability labs up in Redmond where people sit behind one-way mirrors and, and watch volunteers or, or random folk plucked off the street try to accomplish tasks in Microsoft Office, but that's not a real-world situation. You know, when you sit somebody down in a, in a fake cubicle and give them a fake set of tasks to do, what you're getting are fake results. But with Office 2003, when you installed it, you, you may have noticed that it asks you, and now all the Microsoft uh, software products do, if you're willing to participate in the Customer Experience Improvement Program. And what that does is if you, if you opt into it, and you have to opt in, if you opt into it, it sends a lot of non-identifiable data about how you use the product to Microsoft. Now, it doesn't send emails or any addresses or anything like that, but what it does do is it sends things like how many documents do you have open in Word at a given time? What did you use? If you printed an email, did you print it by pressing Control P? Did you print it by clicking a toolbar button? Did you go to File Print? Things like that. So they get a tremendous number of data points on how users are really using the product in the field. And that is is made a big difference in affecting how Office 2007 was designed. Do, do you um, know, Ben, if they actually studied any lawyers or, or did it by you know a vertical market like the law, legal profession? They can't, actually, because they don't get that level of identification in the data. Okay. Um, well, all not, they get not, are raw data points. And they, and they get something on the order of – in the first three months, I believe, they had something like 4 billion data points on Word, on Word toolbar clicks alone. I, I wasn't specifically referring to that that program, oh. but but have they have they done any focus groups or anything with attorneys to see what the attorneys wanted, or is this all based on that other study and the input they got? I'm not aware of any focus groups specifically for attorneys. I know that there is a, a lot of engagement with Microsoft in various markets, particularly large customers. I'm not sure if any of them are law firms specifically. And I do know they do have a department there that is supposed to be focused on the, on the legal vertical, but I'm not sure how much input they had into the product design. Well, Ben, I have, like many consumers, sort of a love-hate relationship with Microsoft. Uh, I, I totally hate Vista, but I really do like most of Office 2007. It seems to be uh, across the board uh, a lot of improvements. But I, I was wondering why the ribbon that we see in the other uh, application isn't as pervasive in Outlook 2007. Oh, sure. Yeah, I know what you mean about, about Vista. I, mean, off, I, I love Office 2007, but Vista and I have decided to just be friends. Uh, <laughs> The ribbon in Outlook 2007, the, the, you know, some of the Office suite does not have the ribbon, and the ribbon is the new user interface that's in Office 2007. The purpose of the ribbon is is to to make the features more discoverable. Uh, 
you know, we get we get feature requests from every version of Office, and four of the top ten feature requests from Microsoft Word from Word 2003 were things that were already in the product. People didn't know how to find them, so that's the point of the ribbon. Now, when it came to implementing the ribbon, most of the Office suite, and that's you know Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and so forth, have it. Outlook 2007 only has the ribbon in what we call the inspector window, which means when you go to start an email message, for example, you'll see the ribbon. But when you're just looking at your inbox, you won't. And the reason it's not there really was just a question of resources. Putting the ribbon interface on a product as complicated as Outlook is a pretty daunting task, and they just didn't have the time and resources to implement that before they had to ship. The OneNote product, if you've seen OneNote, also does not have the ribbon in the 2007 version. And I got to talk to Chris Prattley, who's the PM who owns OneNote at Microsoft, and, and ask him about that. And he said, well, I had to choose. I could either do the ribbon or I could do internal hyperlinks. And so he chose the feature that he thought would give the most value to the end users. And I think the Outlook team made some similar decisions there. They, they would have had to skip a lot of other features that people wanted if they spent the time doing the ribbon. But I think in the next version, I think you, you're probably going to see that become more standard. You know, there's there's so much of a difference between uh, Office 2007 and, and the prior versions. One of the questions I get asked a lot, Ben, is uh, is there a try before you buy kind of option for uh, lawyers? Yes, there sure is. In fact, uh, if you go to Microsoft.com, you can download a 60-day trial version of any of the Office suite, and that includes things that are not in the standard uh, Office suite packages like OneNote. You can download a 60-day trial version. They're fully functional for 60 days. At the end of the 60 days, they switch into a read-only kind of mode, and if you decide you like them, you can buy the, the full version and then just activate your trial version so you don't lose any of your data or your settings that you've set up. You know, if you've gone and created a whole bunch of, of content with the with the trial version, you're not going to lose all that if you if you decide you buy it. That's, that's, uh, that's buy very it. cool. Since you mentioned OneNote, I think a lot of listeners might not know what that is. Can you briefly say what that is? Sure. OneNote is a Microsoft's freeform note-taking software. Basically, it's sort of like an electronic yellow legal pad, if you will, but it lets you have full-text search capability. It lets you do audio recordings. You can clip content from websites and such and, and have it build hyperlinks. It's really a tremendous tool. We use it quite extensively in our practice, actually. Hmm. Can you think of an example where, where an attorney would, would use OneNote? Oh, sure. I, I, I would think it would be great for uh, case preparation. Anywhere, really just about anywhere you would be writing on a, on a yellow pad, OneNote is a great substitute for that. One of my uh, attorney friends here who is a heavy user of OneNote, he does a lot of real estate work, and he'll go out to Google Maps and, and other sites like that, and he'll find satellite photos of the property in question, and, and he'll get Google Maps you know, with the, with the actual street map of it, and he'll clip out those maps, the, the maps and the satellite photos, and paste them right into his notes in, in OneNote. So he's always got those handy right there where you can see them. Excellent, excellent. I'm sorry, Jim. I, th I think I ran with an, a stray ball there because it interested me. I think I'm going to have to look at OneNote. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I wanted to ask about the licensing. You know, Microsoft is famous for indecipherable licensing or a million different options. Uh, are there a bunch of different suites here, or, or is this a different setup? Well, I, I wish I could say that, that one of the pieces of feedback we got from the from the customer experience program caused us to cut down to just one or two license uh, suites, because as you know, there's always been Microsoft Office Small Business and Microsoft Office Enterprise and Microsoft Office Ultimate and Microsoft Ultimate everything else. People have no idea what they're supposed to get, except they usually go for whatever's the cheapest. The answer to that is no. Unfortunately, there's still about eight different packages of uh, Office 2007. There's only five that you're going to encounter in a retail environment, though. 
And there's only the one that most attorneys are going to want, I think, is the uh, standard version. Standard edition has Outlook in it. It's got uh, Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. Well, and, I'm, uh, I'm guessing that there must be some significant differences there. Which suite would you buy depending on what you're trying to use it for? What are the other features for the other than, than the other other than standard? What else would you okay. get with the other ones? Well, the other four suites of the five basic ones are home and student. That's the most basic suite. Now, a lot of uh, companies in the past, and of course lawyers would never do this, cheated on the licensing and bought home and student edition for their offices well, yeah, because wanna, it's a lot cheaper. Want to bet? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I, I think you've it, seen as many as we probably have since we do the same thing. We do technology oh, yes. consulting. Man, Many's the time I've walked into, a, into an office and found home and student edition boxes on the shelf <laughs> because it is a lot cheaper. Well, Microsoft got smart to that, and so in the home and student edition of Office 2007, Outlook is not there. It's not included in that version. OneNote uh -huh. is, however. They've added OneNote. Okay. The standard edition is the next one up. That's the one I recommend for most. That's Word, PowerPoint, Excel, and Outlook. The small business edition is uh, the next one up. And that basically takes the standard edition and adds Publisher and Accounting Express, which is a product I haven't really looked at much, but it, it replaces the old Microsoft small business accounting. I don't think too many attorneys really are going to care about, about the small business version unless you really want publisher or unless you're running your practice on Accounting Express. And if you are, you'd be the first law firm I've seen so far that does. But professional edition is, is the same as a small business, but it adds Microsoft Access. Now, that might have some value if you're, if you're a firm that makes use of Access for databases. I have a client that does a lot of work with Access to maintain inventory, file inventories and things like that. And then the last one is Ultimate, and the Ultimate Edition, as you might guess, is everything. They throw everything in that box, and that includes Groove and InfoPath and things like that. It's also the most expensive of the boxes, of course. There are also two volume license editions we don't really need to get into now, but if you're a large firm that's doing volume licensing, then you'll, you'll probably be looking at one of the volume license uh, packages. Well, Sharon traced a foul ball earlier, she said, about OneNote. Uh, I wanted to ask you about SharePoint another sure. product that might have some Outlook integration. Sure, yeah. Actually, one of the big complaints about Outlook in previous versions and also SharePoint is that, for example, you could subscribe to a SharePoint calendar. Let's say you've got a SharePoint site, you've got a calendar on that site, or a contacts folder on that site, perhaps. You could subscribe to them with Outlook, but you couldn't edit them. So if you had a new appointment that you wanted to put on your SharePoint calendar, you had to actually go to SharePoint and add your appointment there, even though you could see that calendar in Outlook. Uh, same was true of the contacts folder. You could have a contacts folder with all your firm contacts on it, but if you wanted to make a change to it, add somebody or edit somebody's phone number, for example, you couldn't do it in Outlook. You had to actually go to SharePoint to do it, and that was kind of cumbersome. With uh, Outlook 2007 and SharePoint 3, that synchronization is now two-way. So you can make changes in Outlook to calendars and contacts and other things and have those replicate up to your SharePoint site, which is a really nice uh, new step. The other thing that they've done, which is nice, is you know Outlook 2007 now has an integrated RSS reader. So if you're subscribing to blogs and so forth, you can get those right in Outlook, as just like email messages, but in their own set of folders. And SharePoint now makes very heavy use of RSS. So you can actually maybe have a document library, for example, in SharePoint relating to a case. You can subscribe to that library with your Outlook RSS reader, and anytime anybody adds a new document to that library, you'll get a notice in Outlook that it's happened. Ben, can you upgrade Outlook, just Outlook to 2007? And what if you don't have Word 2007? Are there problems? How does that work? 
Yeah, you can. I actually have a client who's they're just phasing out the last remnants of Office 2000, actually. They never even made the jump to 2003, but now they are with, with some of their newer machines they did. But they did want Outlook 2007, so they went ahead and, and bought a site license for, Office, for Outlook 2007 without the rest of the suite. I don't necessarily recommend that, but if you're in a position where you just really want to stay with Word 2003, for example, and Excel 2003, but you do want the new Outlook and all the new features in Outlook, you can do that. You, you don't give up anything by doing that particularly. And because, you know, some people have concerns because Word is the editor now in Outlook. And if you don't have Word 2007, what does that mean? But Outlook actually, and this is true also if you only buy Outlook and don't have any version of Word, Outlook 2007 comes with a, a DLL, a, a pocket-sized version of Word, you might say, just to use as the editor in, in Outlook. Great, that makes sense. I was wondering about that for the editor. Yeah, so Thanks. it does come with a little mini word. Although you, it's not that uh, I don't want to mislead people if they think that they can install Outlook and get Word. Right. Because you don't. You only get it as the editor. Okay, uh, man, I've heard that they've changed the setup program for the uh, software. Is that true? Yeah, it is actually. Uh, one one of the big complaints that they've had in previous versions uh, relates to things like if your setup crashes, and it sometimes did, that it could be really messy to try to recover from that, that it took too long to do setups and deployments in large institutions, that also, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you know, one of the things that Microsoft's done for a long time in setup is the install on first use capability, where you could have a feature that you didn't think you were going to use that much, you didn't want to take up disk space for it, but you figured if I ever use it, go ahead and install it at that time. Well, that's really clever until you're on an airplane at 35,000 feet and want to use that feature. And then it says, great, I'd be happy to install that for you. Please insert your CD. Well, I'm on an airplane at 35,000 feet and my CD's in Honolulu, Hawaii, so that doesn't help me. Without, with Office 2007, one thing they've done, and, and this is one of the reasons why the system requirements for it include a lot of disk space, is that when you do the install, it actually copies the entire product to your local hard drive. The installer files are all copied on the local hard drive, and that means that if you're at 35,000 feet and you go to use PowerPoint charting or some feature in Outlook that you've never used before, and it's installed on first use, it can install it right then and there from your hard drive. The setups are a lot faster that way, and they're also a lot more recoverable. There's a lot, le a lot less prone to fail because it's coming from a local hard drive cache. The other nice thing about that capability is if you've ever had the experience of installing a Microsoft Office service pack for Office 2003, for example, and again, had it ask for the original install media, well, maybe you don't have that CD or maybe it's on a network share you can't access right now, you don't have that problem anymore because now when you do your service packs, if it needs to access the uh, the installer pack, the installer files, it's got them right there on the local hard drive. That, so the setup program is much better. That certainly sounds like a major, major improvement. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is uh, some of the common mistakes that lawyers make with Outlook. And I know one of the, the most famous ones recently was where a lawyer meant to send an email uh, about a potential settlement to a colleague and instead ended up sending it to a, a New York Times reporter <laughs> who had a very similar name. And mm -hmm. that's certainly one of the mistakes I've seen the most often. But what have you – what are the big mistakes you see lawyers making with Outlook, Ben? That is one of the ones I see quite a bit, yeah. It's really easy to, to just type and then click send and not pay a lot of attention to what's in your to field. And with auto-suggest and auto-complete, you know, one misstep there. For those who don't know, um, what, what auto-suggest does is when you start to type an email address, it'll give you a list of other e similar email addresses or similar usernames that you've sent to in the past. 
and let you pick one of those so you don't have to type the whole address out or the whole name out. Most of us have seen that. Most of us use it. I certainly use it quite a bit. But it's it's really easy to, to make a mistake with that. You know, I've I've uh, I use the example in the book of you know you meant to send something to your colleague Judy and instead you send it to Judge Carlson because J you type J U D and just accepted the first suggestion that came up and without paying attention you send it to the wrong person. Uh, what auto that's auto suggest. What auto complete does is after you've typed the address and then moved on to your message or, or after you've typed the name and moved on to your message it checks your Outlook address books and tries to, to match up who you're trying to send to. That's what you'd use. You can use that if you're not using auto-suggest. Uh, but either one of them have the same risks. You can easily misaddress a message. So I definitely recommend to, uh, to attorneys that they they uh, very, very carefully check their two, the two address before they click send. Another mistake I see, and it's one that I make sometimes myself, is, is sort of premature sending of the message. You know, you can, if you press Control-Enter, depending on how your Outlook's configured, that may send the message, or Alt-S may also send the message. So it's, it's easy to sometimes inadvertently send a message if you're typing very quickly. Uh, one of the things I do if I'm, if I'm typing a, a long and sometimes important, e you know, or, or sometimes important email where I want to be really careful I've had a chance to proofread it and I don't send it too quickly is I'll leave the two field blank and I won't fill out the two, excuse me, the two field until I'm ready to send. <laughs> so what that'll, that, that does is if I do inadvertently send the message or hit control enter or something like that, it won't go because the two fields blank. That, that's what my partner John does as well. My, my system is merely, I don't think I type that fast because I've never had that happen, but I just take hands off and read the, the two field. Hands off the keyboard is another uh, good tip, I think, because uh, it, oh, yeah. it, 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 it forces you, it becomes a ritual, and you simply look every time to make sure that you're not sending it to someone you don't intend to. Absolutely. The other thing I see attorneys do a lot this one always cracks me up is I'll, I'll walk into an attorney's office and I'll happen to notice that their deleted items folder has 31,000 items in it. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say, well, you know, aren't you going to empty that? And they'll say, oh, no, there might be something important in there. <laughs> well, if it's important, why is it in your deleted yeah, items yeah. folder? Uh, you know, the equivalent in your office would be if you had trash all over the floor and the, the trash can was overflowing, but you didn't want to dump any of it out because there might be something important in your trash can. Well, it shouldn't be in the trash can if it's important. <laughs> so, but we see that a lot where, where people get panicky about emptying deleted items because they're sure there's something important in there. So I would well, say that, you know, be very careful about don't store things in deleted items and do clean it out regularly because it does take up space. Well, Ben, that's kind of one of the problems is we all got email and started using it, and very few of us had much training in it. Mm -hmm. in, my, in my experience, I find that too many lawyers think of Outlook now as really just an email program with a calendar when it really has so many more features that are useful and, and so much interoperability that it's great for the legal environment. What features do you think that Outlook has that lawyers should be using more often? Well, for me, I'm really big on managing email. One of the most popular classes I teach is how to manage large volumes of email with Outlook. And I know attorneys get a tremendous volume of email. And some of it they need to keep and some of it they don't. I think of the features that I don't see attorneys use often enough, uh, subfolders. Uh, I see a lot of attorneys who just have the basic folders, have never created a subfolder to store things in. To me, that's, that's again, like having a file cabinet with just one big drawer and no, and no folders in it. You just throw every paper in there. You can use subfolders, I think, to more efficiently organize your mail. Search folders. And one of the problems people have with subfolders is they're afraid they'll file something in a subfolder and then never see it again because they'll forget to look for it. Well, search folders are a feature in Outlook that's been there since Outlook 2003 that lets you create virtual folders that search across all of your folders. 
so one of the things that I do, for example, I spend most of my day in Outlook in a search folder I created, which is called Today. And my Today search folder searches across all of my other folders and shows me a list of all the messages and all the RSS items I've received today. And I can't lose anything in a subfolder because it all shows up in my search folder. Along with that, you know, RSS is another feature that I think lawyers should be using more often. There are a lot of great RSS feeds out there, a lot of really good blogs, a lot of good news sites. Uh, it seems like every day I see another RSS feed that's valuable. Uh, they can be technology feeds, they can be law feeds, they can be business or government feeds. Whatever your particular area of interest is or your area of practice is, I can almost guarantee you there's a useful RSS feed for it that you should be reading. Views and categories. A lot of lawyers have, again, built up huge volumes of, of email or long client, uh, contact lists, and they've spend all, they waste a lot of time searching through them and trying to figure out where things are. But by using views, which you can customize if you want to, and using categories, you can make it much uh, easier to organize that into a useful tool. You're making us both feel guilty, I'm sure, Ben, because both Jim and I need to go back and do some managing, don't we, Jim? <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it takes work on that one. <laughs> it really does. I, I've also been, and it's outside the topic of your book, but notice there's been a surprising increase in third-party add-ons to help people uh, do things. So I'll be interested to see sure. how many of the third-party software items are actually now incorporated in Outlook 2007. Yeah, there's a, well, RSS is, a, is is probably the most prominent one. That that was always done by third-party add-ons in the past, but now it's become part of the product. It'd be interesting to see what comes into the next version too. I know some of my colleagues have installed Zobni, if you're familiar with that. It's, it's basically inbox spelled backwards. I'm, I'm not convinced on the, on the value of that particular add-in, although I do have uh, client, uh, clients and colleagues who use it. Uh, it's essentially another indexing tool that, that lets you search your email and also gives you some interesting statistical information about your email. I'm personally sort of a speed freak. You know, I'm one of those guys who's always tuning and tweaking and I want my computer to be as fast as it can be. And so I've got four gigabytes of RAM and dual monitors and all this kind of crazy high horsepower stuff. And so I'm really reluctant to add more add-ins that are just going to drag my system down. So I'm not somebody who goes in and throws those things on there. One of the other add-ins though that can be useful, especially if you do anything with uh, Usenet news groups, is called NewsHound. And NewsHound actually brings an NTP news groups right into Outlook just like the RSS reader does. And that's been a feature that some users, especially technical users, have asked for, for, for since Outlook 97. Well, if, uh, if our listeners can't find some useful information somewhere in this podcast, there's something wrong with them, absolutely, because <laughs> this has been terrifically informative. Ben, I just love your book. I'm glad it's doing so very well, and thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. And we really appreciate it. And like I say, it's a great book, and I'm looking forward to getting further into it and maybe seeing if I can get my inbox under 5,000 this month. Who knows? <laughs> I won't tell you what mine's at right now. <laughs> True confessions. Okay, it's at, it's at nine. All right, I told you. Thank you told us. True confessions from legal technologists. That's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.